electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, shares of General Motors. Yes, General Motors soaring today on a new deal with the Red Hot EV name. So is this the dawn of a whole new era for the old guard automaker? Plus, we're tracking after-hours action in two work-from-home darlings, but has the summer shine worn off these names? We'll break down the numbers. And later, a magical moment for Disney, what one analyst says will be the driving factor for the stock this year. But we start off with another big sell-off on Wall Street, with the Dow falling as much as 670 points at the lows, the Nasdaq nearly dropping back into correction territory after hitting an all-time high just last week. And check out just how far some of the high flyers have fallen. Tesla down more than 34% from its all-time highs hit last Wednesday. Apple down 18%. Microsoft and Alphabet, too, seeing some major losses. So when does the pain stop? Guy. Hi, Mel. Well, it's interesting. So obviously, I've been pretty skeptical the entire move higher, or most of the move higher, I should say. We've had good calls, bad calls along the way. But something sort of st- struck me last week. I think it was Wednesday when you had those uh, headlines from the CDC putting, uh, putting on notice people from the 50 states to get ready for the vaccine, and the market had that huge rally to the upside. What it caught me off guard or what caught me by surprise or what sort of was the tell for me was the fact that the volatility index didn't buy it. And that was the tell. And I think it continues to be the tell. So to answer your question, I think you're going to see the bottom on a day where the market has a big move to the downside, coupled with the day that the VIX actually moves lower as well. We didn't obviously see it today. The one thing that really um, struck me as upsetting today or or just, you know, somewhat alarming was the fact that. Names like J.P. Morgan opens on the highs, closes on the lows. The banks across the board were not able to rally on today's tape. I think that's somewhat disconcerting. So there's a lot to be uh, concerned about on a day like today. But to answer your question again, on a day we see a big down move in the broader market and the VIX moves to the downside as well, that's going to be your tell. We didn't see it today. KRE at large uh, did that same in terms of price action, uh, closing at the lows of the day. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. The cues, Dan Nathan, the price action just was not good in a lot of the major groups, major stocks. Yeah, so I think Apple was really interesting on Friday afternoon. It put on a heroic rally. I think at one point it was down high single digits in the morning Friday and then rallied to close unchanged to slightly up on the day. Um, pretty amazing to reverse all of that and then trade the way it did from the get-go mm-hmm. today and close on the lows is pretty troubling. Microsoft also closed on its dead lows. Google traded on its dead lows. Is that telling you maybe that the close was some kind of fear and panic? Uh, Possibly, but I just think that when you see the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, we know how heavily it weighted it was to those top five names, also obviously close on the dead lows. It leads me to believe that we might get little bounces here, but they might be bounces or opportunities to lighten up on something that just got way too concentrated and way too euphoric. I mean, we started the show with the question, is the pain over, Karen? And what you do want to see is you do want to see that fear and panic hit the street. You want it to be a little bit sloppy. So what did you think of today? 
I thought today was uh, getting us closer to there. I mean, I want to talk about what, what Guy really talked about, which was the VIX. And so that's something I follow really closely. I want to see this big down day with a big spike in the VIX and then a rally. And I'm thinking maybe we have that. It could be as soon as tomorrow. I think that um, I actually sold a little bit of puts today. Um, and, you know, the VIX is in the low 30s now. It had been as low as 21 or two, maybe, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. But I, I don't think the, the final whoosh is there. We talked a little bit last week about the Robin Hood type traders and them getting margin calls. And that takes a day or two to sort of work its way through. Um, they either have to put up more money or they have to sell. I think we probably have a little more of that. But a net-net, I would be, I, I was a buyer of things today um, or a bidder just below, you know, I would buy some Walmart. I didn't get hit there. Uh, I'd like to buy some FedEx, maybe a little bit lower. I did buy some J.P. Morgan call spreads. Um, I, I was disappointing how the banks traded today, but I think there's a few things to buy. I know I'm never going to pick the bottom, but what I didn't, I didn't buy more Apple. I didn't buy more Microsoft. Um, and I certainly didn't buy Tesla, um, but I could have said that hundreds of points ago. So what, what happens, um, Tim, I, to the argument that the Fed and all the liquidity out there will provide support for stocks? I mean, I understand that we, we have we have been here numerous sessions where stocks have gone straight up and we didn't exactly know why stocks went straight up either. And here we are. I mean, we don't exactly know why stocks are going down for the past three days. But. Um, that argument seemed pretty powerful at the time, that, that, that with so much liquidity, there is no alternative. And yet here we are. And it looks like the alternative could be anything but stocks, maybe even cash. Well, you know, first of all, uh, what did you do to my market while I was gone? I, I think if you think about where where the markets, though, had gone to, in all seriousness, you, you have a case where we hadn't been this overbought, and there's different ways to measure this, and momentum, it sometimes can be very short-term and fleeting. And in fact, you know, the S&P, which was at uh, essentially the highest or second highest uh, momentum RSI level that it had been in the last seven years uh, on September 4th, uh, is now down, you know, with a 39 RSI. So this, this it, it changes quickly, but where we have gone to is a function of where we have come from. And it feels a little like a microcosm of of where we started all this in March, because uh, markets were extraordinarily overbought, and you get these panic sells. And, and how panicky has it been? I, I'm not sure it's been very panicky. Uh, good for Karen, who's been talking about buying volatility now for a couple weeks. Uh, and I think if you look at other risk factors today, the things you should be concerned about is not just the banks, which acted poorly, uh, but that the dollar is rallying and looks like it may have found at least some short-term base here. And if you start to see the dollar really more as a risk-off function, which it often is, during these periods, it, there could be more pain ahead. If you ask uh, distressed and high yield traders what's been going on to their markets for the last two months, they're going to tell you that there's been no liquidity and it's not uh, as if they were seeing uh, you know, sunny skies for a lot of companies under their watch. The collapse in oil, we're going to talk more about that and it has implications. But I think we have to understand that, that uh, some of this could be market technical. Some of this could be CTAs. Uh, some of the overbought conditions have, have forced a lot of machines to follow through. And it makes sense. I mean, think about where we were. We were becrying some of these levels on the, the mega cap tech names. And I think what, what we've seen so far right now is representative of that. The Fed is going nowhere, Mel. So uh, therefore, uh, you know, back to originally your, your premise, I don't think that the market really has to go uh, significantly lower, but it, it, it was supposed to go lower and it still may go lower.
All right. Well, tech, of course, as we mentioned, leading today a sell-off. Shares of Apple, for instance, sinking more than 6% today alone, down over 18% since hitting an all-time high just last Wednesday. For more on the space, let's bring in Jeffrey's tech specialist, Jared Weisfeld. Jared, always great to get your perspective. Apple has lost about $325 billion in market capitalization in the past three days alone. What Put that in perspective uh, for us. How much is that in terms of maybe Apple's revenues or lines of business, et cetera? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. So, I mean, in general, if you think about the market cap loss over the last three days for Apple, as you mentioned, it's about $325 billion. To help put in perspective, that's about one and a half times Salesforce.com. That's the equivalent to Apple's projected revenues for next calendar year. It's a significant amount of market cap that has been lost. And I think this goes to speak to what Dan and Tim were just mentioning in terms of just the overextended nature of the rally that we just observed. When you look at the breadth outside of large cap tech, outside of FANG, it was really poor heading into this. So I think this is very consistent with the conversation that you've been having earlier in terms of, you know, I certainly haven't sensed any panic from from clients or investors that I've spoken with over the last um, the last couple of days. I think the, the Fed put is is very real. They're not going anywhere. The 210 spread in terms of the yield curve is very steady at about 50 basis points. So I think it's, um, you know, to the extent that you're starting to see some of this uh, Robin Hood margin call work its way through the system, I think that could absolutely be part of it as well. But no doubt about it, the large cap tech has has let us lower. And today's action was uh, was certainly dramatic evidenced by market uh, Apple dropping below the $2 trillion market cap. Hey, hey, Jared, it's Dan. Um, quick one for you. A week ago today, we were on this program trying to explain to viewers why Zoom had just gained $40 billion in market cap in one day, 40% higher in one day. Now, it's nearly filled in that entire gap since its extraordinary earnings. How do you put that in some sort of context in just one week of market action, a name that obviously has come to just embody much of the euphoria that exists in this NASDAQ? But it's a pretty peculiar situation here, and I suspect fundamental people were not getting into the name a week ago Friday on the long side. I think that's that's exactly right. And uh, it's it's a bizarre situation that you're seeing across the space. Uh, you know, I, I certainly had many conversations on on Zoom after after the earnings print with with many clearly not prepared for an up 40 percent move on a well anticipated uh, better than expected set of results. But I think a lot of this goes into you know this interplay between value and growth that we've been observing here over the last the last few weeks. Uh, you know, many that I've spoken with, and I'm certainly of this view. As you as you think about the rotation from from work from home beneficiaries into value, when you when you're preparing portfolios for post COVID recessionary conditions uh, or any type of recovery conditions, rather, like what do you want to be owning on the other side of this? I thought today's market action was telling in that you saw shares of Disney, you saw shares of the ride sharing companies, and even Lyft gave a positive update after hours. Um, when you, this transition into what to own in a post COVID recovery. What makes that top of the list? And uh, you know, I would agree with you in terms of the bizarre reaction in Zoom, but it's not specific to Zoom. And I think it's part of it's partly Robinhood, but I think more importantly, it's partly in, in in zero interest rate environment that we're in. When you think about the impact that ZERP is having, look at Salesforce.com after their print. They Salesforce obviously had a fantastic print, but to put things in perspective, all they did was reinstate a guidance that they had pre-COVID, and they reinstated 75% of that guidance. And despite that, the shares were up 25% after being added to the Dow the day before. So it's not idiosyncratic to uh, to Zoom, and we're, we're seeing that all across tech. 
Hey, Jared, it's Tim. So I know you're not dismissing these moves. Again, these were extraordinary moves higher, but you're explaining them in the context of the moves they made. What would be another indicator or what else are you watching to to uh, from a chart perspective that would tell you this move is widening out? And, and this isn't just about overbought tech stocks. And we, frankly, we've seen rotation back and forth, um, even though it seems to have been a one way trick for Nasdaq only. I mean, is it a dollar move? Is it something uh, a breakdown really that much more in a FedEx or some of these names that have held up there? What are you watching? So I think from from a Nasdaq perspective, something to keep in mind: we actually hit the 50-day on the support uh, on the support chart today. So I do think it's encouraging that perhaps you know we're going to get that flush that we're all looking for as uh, Nasdaq's uh, you know going to hold hold for dear life here at the 50-day. You know, in in terms of just trying to better understand uh, you know where the where money flows are going to go next, I do think I want to I want to take a look at how. When you think about in line with the commentary that I mentioned before with respect to what to own on the other side of this, I mean, I think it's a very plausible explanation that on the next move higher from a market standpoint, could it be outside of tech? When, when you think about the fact that if we're going to go ahead and recover and God forbid the yield curve does steepen and economic conditions do get better, do you want to own more pro-cyclical names uh, outside into industrials and energy and financials and do some of the names that, uh, that we're talking about here that are sporting punchy valuations that that benefited from work from home, uh, do they take a little bit of a breather? So I'm watching the yield curve, I'm watching industrials, and I'm watching, um, I'm, I'm watching sort of the interplay between value and growth. Jared, great to speak with you. Thanks for your thoughts. Always appreciated. Thanks. Jared Weisfeld of Jefferies. Guy Adami, what does the Guy Adami post-COVID world portfolio look like? Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating question. I don't know when, you know, I don't know if we are post-COVID or how close we are to being post-COVID. You know, we're getting into a season now where, Obviously, we're going to overlap with the flu. You know, I don't think we've ever got out of the first wave. So I don't know. What I said last week was that it's interesting. The actually airlines were up today. Mm -hmm. And one of the comments we made late last week was maybe the worst is over in terms of the stocks. I don't think the worst is over in terms of the environment out there. But maybe the stocks have priced it in. Uh, you know, the banks, I thought, would be part of the play. But clearly on a day like today, when they give up the ghost like that, you have to be concerned. And oh, by the way, Something we didn't mention, but it's worth mentioning. Don't discount the fact that these U.S.-China relations aren't getting any better. As a matter of fact, uh, they're getting worse. And I think for the first time in a while, maybe the stock market is pricing that in. So there are a lot of things to be concerned about out there. But these things were existent, you know, the entire move up. So I'm not breaking any ground here, Mel. Yeah. And by the way, no stimulus package. Still, so yet another thing uh, weighing on, on stocks here. While big tech was falling today, there were some big jumps in two automakers. <laughs> not named Tesla. Shares of General Motors and Nikola surging after the two into two billion dollar partnership. For the details, let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Phil. Melissa, nice move higher, not only for General Motors, but also for Nikola, which is back over $50 a share. And this agreement between the two companies really is a win-win situation. Why do we say that? This is a case where both companies are going to benefit. General Motors getting size and scale. Nikola no longer has to think about sh uh, shelling up billions of dollars to start up manufacturing. So here's what each of them get. GM expects at least $4 billion in benefits. It will have another customer that it will be supplying its battery technology to, its fuel cells to. That is important as they look for size and scale. Nikola gains the access to GM's expertise. And as much as some people want to knock General Motors, they have vast experience and knowledge when it comes to electric vehicles. Nikola also will save about $4 billion in development costs. And the Nikola Badger electric, all-electric pickup truck that comes out in 2022, that will be built 
by General Motors. I know some people are saying, well, is it going to look just like the GM pickup trucks that are going to be electric? No, the top of it will be different. The interior will be different. The software that goes inside of it in terms of uh, the uh, infotainment system, that'll be different. Yeah, the guts will be the same. The batteries, the motor, that that's all going to be the same. But it's the top that's going to differentiate the Badger pickup truck from the GM electric pickup trucks. As you take a look at these two stocks one more time, remember that General Motors also is getting a board seat with Nikola. So, look, at the end of the day, Melissa, you're going to see more of these types of deals within the auto industry. It's unrealistic to think that all of these startups, as well as every single automaker, is going to come up with their own battery platform, their own EV tech platform. You're going to start to see them coalesce around large platforms like this. You've got Ford and Volkswagen together. You might see some startups going with them. You've got Tesla, and it's going to continue to sell its, uh, its technology. And then you've got whatever Toyota ultimately decides to do. That's what you're ultimately going to see within the auto industry. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Well, GM surge comes as shares of Tesla extend their sell-off from last week down double digits as it was left out of the S&P 500. And not that long ago, we were comparing these two very names when they were having wildly different runs. Here's a tough one, Karen. I'll I'll pose this to you. (laughs) Let's say you have a three-year time horizon. General Motors or Tesla? (laughs) Oh, Gosh, um, I mean, the risk reward to me in General Motors, I guess, is better, but that is a very difficult one. Yeah, I'll take GM. I mean, obviously, the valuation is they're apples to oranges, but GM has underperformed massively, and GM has a balance sheet that actually I, I think you can, you can own. I'm going to ask that same question uh, with Tesla suffering its worst. A three-day decline since October of 2008, and the big pop that we saw in GM shares, Karen. Would you rather General Motors or Tesla? Oh, um, I mean, it was a difficult question then. It was different. Today's the right day to look at that tape again, but um, I would still stay with GM. I like this deal for them. I think it's really important. Um, I think it is a win-win. They're actually not even paying anything for 11% of the company. They're sort of distributing. They're they're. Um, contributing their expertise and um, production. Um, But I think that Tesla, even though it's down a lot, uh, it's still, I mean, the risk reward, I think, to me and GM is better. So I I like, for many reasons, I like this deal. I don't know that we're going to see a spin out of GM's uh, EV business. That would be great, I think, for the short term if we did. But I think Mary Barra thinks much more long term and uh, I don't think we'll see that spin. But I like the stock here. We might not see that spin, but are we going to see credit for that business? I mean, that's always been the knock so far in terms of that cruise business, Tim. And, and finally, with this tie-up, are we getting the signal that GM is actually serious about the EV business? I, I think this is a, a very important validation for GM. I remember that, you know, and this is what Mary, Mary Barra said earlier today, that you know, their hydrotech fuel technology and their Ultium battery platform are, are, are things that I'm not sure the market has really given them any credit for. And, and I, you know, yes, the Chevy Volt has not been the most exciting car in the world, uh, but GM's been building autonomous capacity for a long time as well. So uh, to the extent that GM has had a future on both EV and technology for a long time, that the market has, has clearly uh, treated it in the other direction. It's very, very smart uh, for, for uh, Nikola ultimately to, to 
to partner with an OEM and use that engineering and use that capacity and use that ability to actually deliver. Uh, I think this deal makes a ton of sense for both people, but it's an important day for GM. Uh, we've spent nothing but you know, uh, time talking about how they are not Tesla over the last few years. And the assumption is that GM was going to finish not only out of the money, but not even in the picture. And that's just wrong. So uh, it's a global car company. They have engineers. They have technology. And this is validation of that today. Are we going to look back to today, Guy Dami, and say that was the day that the re-rating of GM started? Or maybe even for, for Nikola, I don't, for that matter. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it, to me, well, I mean, it doesn't matter what I think. But I think it's a bit of a Hail Mary. Good for the stock today. I mean, this is one of the biggest moves we've seen in a while. And on a decent tape, it probably does a whole lot better than that. But if you go back and look, I mean, this stock has not performed at all on what's been the greatest stock market in the last decade, uh, in one of the greatest environments for automakers in the last decade, the last six months notwithstanding. So, you know, maybe it gets them back to $35, the stock, which is where we sort of broke down from in February. But I'm hard-pressed to come up with a, a, a scenario where it does a whole lot better than that. So... To answer your question, I don't think so, Melms. All right. Coming up, Slack and Lululemon on the move after the earnings reports. Did these stay-at-home darlings deliver for the quarter? We'll bring you the trade. Plus, oil prices plunging, taking the energy sector along with it, but is more than just the stock price at risk for the space? We'll get some answers. Fast Money's back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on a pair of work-from-home companies. You know you're guilty of posting in Slack while you're wearing your Lululemon leggings. Our Kate Rogers got Lululemon details. We'll start off with Debosa on Slack. Deidre. Guilty, Melissa. Also reporting on Slack while wearing Lululemons. Anyways, not all work-from-home plays are equal, and Slack proved that exactly. Despite beating expectations on the top and bottom lines, shares are plummeting in the after-hours. Slack's numbers, they just aren't as impressive when you put them next to other remote darlings like Zoom Video, which saw revenue soar more than 350% year-over-year. Slack has seen revenue grow at a steady 50% for the last three quarters, even amid the pandemic. Billings growth, the metric that investors were focused on, that also came up short. Now, I had the chance to ask CEO Stuart Butterfield and CFO Alan Shim why, and they said that the macro environment is still uncertain. Butterfield said that the impact of the economy and the employment picture hit the business in a more pronounced way in the second quarter, though they are seeing signs of stabilization and improvement. Another ever-present concern, guys, is competition. CFO Shim said Slack did not see year-over-year change in its win rate against Microsoft Teams in the quarter, and we know how fierce that battle is. With tonight's plunge in share price, Slack remains the underperforming work-from-home play. Back to you, Melissa. Debo, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Dan Nathan, I go to you on this. Not winning anything against Microsoft Teams. Um, From the beginning, I think that we've said that it has tough competition. Is there a place for Slack in the sort of office suite yeah well i think listen you know i've been lying this name very positive on it i like the product i like the management i like the way they're positioned but they are not 
they are not executing, at least on their plan, the way a lot of these other companies like Zoom are. And so it tells you a little bit something about competition. You know, Zoom's product was superior in so many ways to Google, to Skype, to WebEx, just so many things. And I think what you're seeing right now is that Slack had this tremendous opportunity to kind of gain share in large enterprises, but Microsoft having teams embedded into their 365 was just a, just a, a huge, huge wall for them. And that's what's really happened, I think, after some of those initial gains that we saw in March and April um, and into May. So um, to me, this one's kind of obviously in the penalty box here. But I got to tell you, um, at the valuation that it's trading and where they are and when they look at those enterprise accounts with one million per account, that sort of thing, this is an asset that I think any competitor to Microsoft Teams wants. That's Google, Google's collaboration tools. That could be Zoom for that matter. So to me, I think this is a scarce asset. I think it's a unique asset. Um, they're just not doing well right now in this environment. So um, I don't know what else to tell you, but at 24 bucks, um, I wouldn't be selling it here. It almost sounds, Dan, like you're, you're holding it because you think it could be taken out, which we've said repeatedly on the show is not really a reason to hold on to a stock. Well, except for the fact now that they do have a really good product, and mm -hmm. right now they're just facing mass competition from you know one of the biggest tech incumbents that exists. So you know, I, I always um, like to own some things that I think have scarcity value. Twitter has been a name like that for me on and off over the years. Lyft is one of those sorts of names. Um, also, I think the data, um, I think the where these uh, companies may sit as a feature on a larger platform are really important. And so when everything shakes out in this market, I think there's going to be a real Really good opportunity, especially if we have a different regulatory picture where you're going to see some of these massive tech behemoths start picking up some of these data plays. All right. Work shares down 18 and a half percent right now. Let's move on to Lulu. Kate Rogers got the latest. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that stock falling in the after hours trade here, but Lulu out with beats on the top and bottom line as more people are working from home, of course, and also working out at home. The company is saying that direct-to-consumer sales increased 155% year-on-year to $554 million. The company adding that omni-channel retail matters much more now to shoppers than it had in the past. CEO Calvin McDonald said in a statement, we're pleased with our overall business results for the second quarter as Lululemon increasingly lives into its omnipotential as trends around the world are shifting to working and sweating from home with an increased focus on health and wellness. We believe 2020 is likely an inflection point for retail and for Lululemon, adding that we are cautiously optimistic with regard to the second half of the year as we continue to navigate the uncertain environment. McDonald also said reopened stores are performing at about 75% of last year's volume. Nearly all of the company's 506 company-owned stores are reopened. They continue to believe that physical stores, Melissa, are an extremely important part of the ecosystem, adding that Omni and in-store will both be a part of the holiday shopping season. No guidance, of course, for 2020 due to COVID. Uh, the stock, though, up about 50% year to date. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers with the latest on Lulu. Uh, Karen, where do you stand on, on shares of Lulu? Yeah, I, I'm not long, Lulu. I, um, I mean, that was a great quarter. Top line was great. The gross margin was a beat there, which is good. Shows them getting the omni-channel cost under control. Uh, it's not surprising they didn't give guidance. All of that's fine. It, the only problem with this quarter is that the stock was trading at 80-plus times earnings going into it. And that's, that's just an insurmountable level, I think. So it's a great story, but uh, it was just too ahead of itself. Yeah. Tim? 
The growth um, multiple is coming from the addressable market with the menswear. I know guys wearing those ABCs around the clock. Um, and I'll let him talk about what that ABC stands for. Also, the mirror acquisition uh, just closed in July and uh, all these other things we were talking about with everybody else as it relates to uh, the dynamic here with that home fitness. But mirror makes a lot of sense. A lot of people question that deal. So multiple makes no sense. Uh, this is one you're buying on weakness. Um, this is a family show, Guy Dami. So in your explanation of those <laughs> pants, just keep that in mind. I'm not sure. I don't know what the ABC is. If they're you just know they're comfortable. Briefs, I admit oh, come it. On. I mean, I, mean, I love on. their box. I say it all the time. Listen, you know I'm not shy to say. I say things all the time. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not feigning ignorance here. I really don't know. I'll say this quickly. You know, City <laughs> downgraded the stock last week, but they raised their price target to 400. I think what people came away a tad upset was their operation, operating margins came in close to 14% which beat expectations, but then they say, wait a second, they were 19% this quarter last year. 320-ish, so 322-ish is where we sort of topped out in early June. You get, a, you get that stock down to 320, and I think you buy it with both hands, Mel. All right, Guy, thank you. Guy Dami, we've got a market flash on to- AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine. Meg Terrell's got the details. Meg. Hi, Melissa. AstraZeneca is moving lower in the after hours on a report from Stat News that the company's large phase three clinical trial of its COVID-19 vaccine has been put on a clinical hold uh, due to a suspected serious safety reaction in one of the participants in the trial in the UK. Uh, Now, I've reached out to AstraZeneca and haven't yet heard back for confirmation, although Stat News says that a spokesperson for the company uh, said, quote, it was a standard review process that triggered a pause to vaccination to allow review of safety data. So it's not clear exactly what this safety event was, how long this pause could potentially last, or you know, how effective, how much of an effect this will really have on the trial going forward. But uh, it's down about 5% here. And Melissa, this is really the first snafu we've seen in an incredibly sped up vaccine development process for multiple companies. AstraZeneca, of course, is one of the front runners in the vaccine race. Uh, it just started its phase three trial in the United States as well after starting it around the world. Uh, it's behind Pfizer and Moderna, and it does have a different technology from both of those companies. But we are digging more into this stock down about 5% now, and we'll bring you any more news that we get about it. Back All right. I did want to highlight the fact that it's, it uses different technology, so it's not an extrapolation in terms of uh, the failed safety uh, measure to the other vaccine candidates. Not necessarily, no. There is some suggestion here in the Stat News article that uh, there there is a look being made at other vaccines for any potential similar safety risks, uh, but not clear exactly what the safety risk was. Uh, so hard to extrapolate or to know whether to extrapolate to other technologies. Okay, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell uh, joining us with the developing story on AstraZeneca's vaccine candidate. We should note that Moderna shares, which took a serious tumble in today's session on a downgrade from SVB Learing, uh, is up in the after-hour session to the tune of about 6%. One of the reasons in that downgrade from Learing, Guy, was that there are a lot of com- competitors out there on the market. And so even when it gets, gets out there, uh, it, it's going to face a lot of competition. Yeah, and I'm sorry for the dog barking again. I, you know, it's, if you're trying to play these, bio, these biotechs or big cap pharma names on the back of this vaccine, and we've cautioned people for quite some time, you don't do it, and these are the reasons why. I mean, we saw that huge move in Abbott Labs, for example, on their testing news. Stock traded, I think, 114. We said pull the ripcord. Moderna's been a uh, very difficult stock to navigate. Gilead, obviously. And I'll say again, I think whoever wins this 
vaccine race is yet to identify themselves. I believe that. So, you know, there's certain stocks to buy in the space. The names that we just talked about aren't some of them, though. The other part of that downgrade, and, you know, I thought the downgrade is interesting because they actually acknowledge that there is heightened skepticism surrounding fast-tracked vaccines, which could really throw a damper in some doubt, Karen, on the impact of a vaccine on reopening the economy if skepticism is high surrounding a fast-track vaccine, which right now they're all fast-tracked. Right. No, I think that that is a big risk to the market. You know, so much of this made of like the sort of once we get to a vaccine, it's a foregone conclusion, which I actually buy into that. But we haven't seen a stumble, as Meg said. So this is interesting. I don't know how this works. What's an acceptable rate of adverse reaction? Is there on a, I don't know how much, 30,000 person trial? I don't know. But um, this is a, is a significant risk to the market, a delay in the vaccine. And then, of course, as you, I think you're, you're kind of getting at that, will people be afraid to take it? And therefore, the effect of having fewer people vaccinated will obviously be a damper on the economy. I don't know. This is a negative for the market. So just to connect the dots to the conversation we had with Jared Weisfeld in the A block, Dan, I mean, he was talking about a post-COVID portfolio. That post-COVID portfolio could look farther and farther out. Um, the more stumbling blocks and the more skepticism um, that arises around these fast-track vaccines. So are we positioning right now? Is this sell-off that we're seeing a rotation into potentially cyclicals too early? Well, not really, because they actually have, have showed great relative outperformance over the last few days. If you look until today, banks, industrials, um, some, some other parts of the cyclical complex. You know, I'll, I'll just say this. I mean, one of the reasons why the idea of taking a fast track politicized um, vaccine is not that attractive to people is that it may vaccinate you from this virus right now that's raging across this planet, but who the hell knows what the side effects are? Are you going to give that to your kids, um, you know, just so they can avoid getting this virus right now? If you saw something that came through the, the gates in six months, I don't think so. So, you know, Guy mentioned this earlier in the show last Wednesday when the CDC made that um, suggestion that by the uh, end of October, get ready for vaccine vaccines, they were never coming. That was the biggest pipe dream on the planet. And even if it's coming, it's just an announcement because no one's taking them this year and not a politicized one. And people have to get that through their thick skulls because, I mean, this thing is totally turned into an absolute you-know-what show, and it doesn't make any sense. So listen, people, there's not going to be a vaccine that you are going to be taking in 2020. So whether it's about how you conduct your life, how you invest in the stock market, it doesn't matter. It's just a pipe dream. So just stop already. Jeez. Okay, so so potentially skepticism surrounding or maybe no vaccine uh, in the next couple months, maybe the soonest by the end of the year, Tim. No stimulus package so far. Questions about valuations in the market. Does all this combine, this potpourri, you know, whatever you want to call it, smorgasbord of, of, yes, of items, melange. make you melange, make you more skeptical about, about uh, the markets in general and believe that, that the sell-off could continue? Look, at these levels and where liquidity is and where momentum is, uh, I think there's a reassessment of, of both what valuation should be 
uh, and that's going on right now in tech land. I think the, the relative outperformance in industrials and, and call them value stocks are a function of truly uh, some transports we're seeing better numbers, truly some commodities resource companies. Look, the, the housing market isn't going anywhere. In other words, it's going, going to continue to go higher. Um, I think there's a lot of, of feed through to other parts of the economy there. But if you're asking me, uh, it's almost back to your Fed question. I, I don't think the Fed's going anywhere. Uh, and I, I don't think airlines need to be trading up 40 to 50 percent in the next six months because of they would be probably the most obvious beneficiary of, of you know, a vaccine trade. I don't think you're you know, I mean, I agree with Dan, um, but I don't know that the market has to follow that course. And I think we've seen that the market got so far ahead of itself um, that the, the, the pullback over the last three days is not only justified, but thank goodness um, the market's showing some rationality. And I think we could see a little bit more. Um, but I, 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 to me, whenever we've been talking about the vaccine and which drug companies are the beneficiaries, um, uh, you know, ultimately to me, it's the market that's uh, going to be the, the, the greatest recipient. And right now, um, I don't think the market really can put it in its sights and it hasn't mattered for the market. So for now, that's that's my stance. It stays that way. All right. Coming up, we'll take another look into the now three day market route and find out how much longer this pain could continue. And later, if all this market volatility has you holding your breath, Professor Seymour has some lessons to keep you cool. We've got more on that when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. The market getting slammed again today. The Nasdaq officially in correction territory off 10% from its all-time high hit just last week. It fell more than 4%. Meantime, the S&P 500 posted its first three-day losing streak since June, and the Dow fell more than 600 points. Our next guest warns there's more pain ahead. Jim Bianco is the president of Bianco Research. Jim, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. We, we were talking about the power of the Fed, and you have been um, a huge advocate of that argument that the, that the liquidity pumped into the system by the Fed is one reason why you want to just buy stocks at this point. So in, in terms of, of the weighting and importance of, of that argument now, does no stimulus package, no coronavirus vaccine in high valuations, is that all, uh, does that trump the Fed liquidity? Has, has the script been flipped? Out. Yeah, we're going to find out. You're right. Uh, the AstraZeneca news that we finally had a stumble with the race for a vaccine and you throw in the high valuation, the forward P.E. ratio, which is Wall Street's favorite metric, already took out the 2000 peak. And if you look at the excessive speculation that you've had in the options market over the last month or so, with 75 percent of options trading with less than two weeks to maturity, and the vast majority of it being retail traders. And I might add, here's a fun fact for you. Last Wednesday's all-time high of 3580 on the S&P came with the highest VIX in history 
for an all-time high at 26.57. So that was showing you that, that the options market was out of line. All of this is bad news. All of this should get one really bearish, but I'm only looking for a correction because on the other side of the equation, you have Jay Powell and his printing press. Now, some point that's gonna fail, but I'm not so sure that's gonna fail this time and it ain't gonna go down without a fight. And so, yeah, 7% is not gonna get them in, but if this uh, correction keeps going, they're going to start throwing kitchen sinks at the market again, just like they did Wait in March. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Are you saying that Jay Powell is going to be basically the plunge protection team if the market goes down anymore? Was he not in March the plunge protection team when the market went down? Uh, <laughs> but it, So you have to open that up. He's already buying ETFs. He's already buying corporate bonds. He's already said that financial stability is kind of a third mandate for the Federal Reserve. They've already lined all that up already. Now, 7% isn't going to get them in, but if we go down 10 15%, I suspect that will be the conversation. And then the conversation will be, will it work again? Seem to when they did enough of it in March, it worked at that point. But uh, we'll have to see. But yeah, that's what you're going to have to fight against, even though all that other stuff seems to be nominally negative for the market. But let's be clear, buying stocks is not within the Fed mandate as it stands right now. That would require an act of Congress. And so you're saying that, that everything surrounding that could be done by the Fed. And, and so therefore, Jay Powell's got your back, investors. Buying corporate bonds, buying yeah. ETFs needed an act of Congress, but sure. they found a way around that with these uh, special purpose vehicles through the Treasury. Yeah, uh, but before they even get there, they can start in with yield curve control, which is price fixing in the interest rate markets. They could step up their purchases of corporate bonds or ETFs. There's a lot of other things they could do right. under the mandate that they, they are concerned about financial stability. What I'm saying is you got high valuation, you've got wild speculation in the options market, you've lost or at least had a stumble in the uh, race for a vaccine. All that's negative. You, you should be looking for a big correction, but the offset to that is going to be the Federal Reserve. Jim, always good to get your thoughts. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Karen Feinerman, you know, the Fed, when it said it's going to buy corporate bonds, it really hasn't bought too much. And it was the power of just actually Maybe saying that they were going to buy. Do we have Karen? I think we've lost Karen. So I'll switch gears and ask this question to Guy. It was the power of the Fed just saying that it would buy corporate bonds that actually helped the market. So there could be a lot of job. I mean, the plunge protection sounds very dramatic, but it could just exist in just sort of verbal plunge protection. Yeah, and it's worked in the past, to your point. I mean, they say they're going to be there, which puts in a floor, and, and the market gets all, it gets all geeked up. But I think, again, you're going to get to the point of diminishing marginal returns in terms of Fed speak, and I think we're dangerously close. And I think that's sort of what Jim is saying as well. All right, coming up, a little bit of magic for the Magic Kingdom, why one analyst says, says streaming will open up a whole new world for Disney. And later, one of the most reliable dividends on the street may be in danger as Exxon faces a major cash crunch. But there are other names that may also be at risk. We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Coming up, crude oil in free fall. What is sparking fear in the energy markets? We'll have the details ahead. But first, school's back in session. We've got a lesson you can't afford to miss. Professor Tim Seymour is taking us to trade school next. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Fast Money. So many new traders flocked to the market since the lows of March, but with markets in sell-off mode the last few days, how should they be navigating the sea of red? Fear not, our veteran Tim Seymour is here with the trade school on what they should know. Tim, take it away. Yeah, Professor Seymour, nothing more ironic than that, or so my college professors would say. So, so here are three points I want to make. First of all, know what you own. Uh, and I mean, are you an investor or are you a trader? And in many cases, in the last three to six months, people have been momentum traders. But if you have a, a company where you are rock solid on the fundamentals and you've done your work, that will lead to the greatest amount of rationality during a very difficult time. And, and ultimately, know that you are in it for a particular horizon period and ultimately know the fundamentals and be set in the fundamentals. Two, know the technicals. Uh, and if you think about where we've come for the last... 10 days, but really the last week. Um, take Apple, for example, the poster child of all the excess on the way up and what can pull back on the way down, but where you could still go. Look, after a 47% move in 27 sessions, Apple's pulled back almost 19%, but it's still 20% off of where it, it rallied off of those numbers. Uh, bring up the next chart. You've got NVIDIA, which to me is indicative of probably a handful of stocks uh, within the NASDAQ, and that includes also the triple Qs themselves, where, um, as, I, as I like to say, Go back to July 1, uh, PASCO and Collect 200 and start over again because a lot of these charts look like they could go all the way back there and round trip what has been effectively a, a TP top in their charts. Know the technicals, know where the long-term moving average is because if the 200-day is the place that you actually see long-term support and it's been the bottom, know where that number is because that's also where that trade can break down. And finally, you know, know your limits. And I think this may be the hardest part of, of everything. Uh, are you uh, emotionally ready to stay in a trade long term? A lot of people, you need to be able to sleep on this trade, but know your economic limits. Don't be playing with margin calls and money you do not have to lose and get to a position of comfort, which means a position of strength. All good tips for investors, new and old, and even Flip and Russell approved. Coming up, is the ExxonMobil dividend in danger? We'll dive into the options pits and see what the traders are betting on. And here's a check in the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting with Twitter CFO Ned Siegel. That full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And stick around at 7 for the path forward, race and opportunity in America. We'll take a closer look at the underrepresentation of black workers and leaders in corporate America and discuss ideas and potential solutions from CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs. Big lineup tonight on CNBC. Much more Fast Money after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a rough day for the energy market with crude oil falling around 8% to its lowest level since June. And option traders are betting that today's crude collapse could have major implications for one dividend darling in the beaten down energy space. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we're talking about ExxonMobil. This is arguably one of the most consistent dividend payers in stock market history. But right now, the options market is suggesting that that may be in some jeopardy. Right now, the options market is forecasting an implied dividend range of somewhere between 30 and 50 cents over the next ex-dividend period, declining to somewhere between 20 and 30 cents. By this time next year, that would be a significant cut from the 87 cents that they're currently paying. Two ways to think about it, either that they could be some probability that they cut it entirely or a higher possibility that it just gets cut materially. But when the dividend exceeds your free cash flow, something's got to give. All right, Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Time for the Final Trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 
Disney got an upgrade today from Deutsche Bank, who talked about their streaming business as part of uh, a, a rollout, giving them more power in DTC. And certainly, we priced in a lot of bad news in terms of a slowing opening of the economy. I'm long the name. I like their call. Dan Nathan. Yeah, this is a Karen name, Walmart. It was at 132 weeks ago. The Walmart, uh, Walmart Plus news came out. The TikTok stuff it went straight to 150. It's on its way back to 130. That's where you reload on this one, Walmart. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so if the market opens down big tomorrow, I'll probably be like under my desk whimpering, but I'll pull the pin on a grenade of some puts and sell them out there into the volatility. Guy Adami. So I, the people on the Twitter informed me what ABC means in terms of Lululemon. <laughs> family I will show, spare remember, you. family show. I will spare you. Yeah. But, you know, I find it fascinating, the whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> Lululemon, uh, right in that 322 crosshairs, I think you buy it there for a trade mill. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.